Hello and welcome to the Rise Revolution Mind Body Nutrition Podcast. This is episode 8, Emotional Eating. My name is Melissa Chapman. I'm a certified mind body eating coach. I studied with the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, which was founded and created by Mark David, who is considered one of the pioneers in the field of the study of psychology and nutrition. So I was having a discussion with someone this week and talking about how emotional eating, when I say that everyone, I won't say everyone, most people kind of put a negative connotation to emotional eating to describe that. And emotional eating, we're seeing that as that we stress eat or we eat when we're lonely, we're stuffing our feelings and people call that like a a bad habit, right? Like emotional eating is a bad thing. But we are emotional creatures because we're human beings and we are emotional. Um, We like to celebrate with cake for birthday, right? Where's the cake and ice cream? Like the happy memories you might have had having coffee with your friends sitting around a table as you wake up, you know, at their house and and you're sitting around having coffee for us ladies. A lot of times that's an awesome memory that we have with our girlfriends is our morning coffee chats. And, and so a lot of times we do connect food to emotions in a positive way. And so I want to change maybe how you view the phrase emotional eating because I think for the most part, when we eat a meal, we're experiencing some sort of emotion, whether it's pleasure or we are angry or we're sad. I mean, we're in some sort of state of emotion when we're eating our meals. Um, Maybe it's not an extreme emotion, but, you know, I think it's good to, to check in and say, you know, am I eating from a place of I'm trying to fill something in me that's lacking. And so that's where I think the emotional eating gets its negative baggage is that when we recognize we're eating because we're sad or lonely or stressed out. And I was researching a little bit the, um, and this is where when you're on a podcast, you can just talk off the cuff or you can, you know, talk about a topic or an article or something that you read that started the thought process for you to have the podcast episode. So um, on the Institute for Psychology of Eating's website, a lot of times that's where I go and read information that will help me with topics that I may want to explore further. So there are three different kinds of cravings, and Mark David had put this article out in, I think, 2018. And so this is a concept I've understood, but had some confusion around in the past. So I've I've talked to people about when I work with clients or teach a workshop or something, as far as the, the process that I take with clients and the way I work with people is to... Um, start to learn to trust their body wisdom. And a lot of times when I say that to someone, like if I say that to you right now and you've never heard that concept, it's very foreign to you. It sounds very like out there and maybe you don't understand what I mean. And 
So when I start working with clients, there's, um, in a previous episode, I talked about the five steps to conscious eating as a kind of a roadmap for how you should choose your meals and, and eat your meals and process. And it's the five steps briefly, as I mentioned in most of these episodes is first of all, that you make a decision to eat this conscious choice to eating. You're not mindlessly grabbing food or snacking in front of the TV and and forgetting, you know, that you even ate just very mindlessly doing that activity. Eating with intention is like making a decision to eat. Then secondly, just asking your body what it wants. So step two of that process, asking your body what it wants is the thing that is pretty out there for people. What do you mean? Ask my body what it wants. Cravings. When you're having cravings, are you curious about those cravings? Are you curious why you're craving a certain food or a certain type of food, a certain consistency or flavor, whatever? Um, it's fascinating to me the whys. I'm, I'm one of those people that will ask why. Not I don't like the answer just because. Like That can be an answer, but I prefer to understand the reasoning or the logic or, or what's happening. So the cravings is kind of what I'm talking about. And I've mentioned in episodes past and with clients that there were times that I would have a weird, strange craving, especially if it's odd to me, it feels out of place. Like I used to be the burger and fry kind of girl that every day at lunch, I had a burger and fries like years ago. That was burger fries and a sweet tea. That was my go-to. So if I would have craved, you know, kale, that would have been really out of the ordinary. And I've been like, what's that all about? Um, and so this was during part of my healthy living journey where I had started craving liquids. Like I had this urge to do a liquid fast, which of course I always tell everyone I'm not a doctor. I'm not recommending medical advice here. And if you are going to do a fast or a cleanse, you should check that with your doctor and research the type of thing that you're doing. But at any rate, my instinct was I was craving liquids, broths, teas, juices, smoothies, things that were just liquid. And I didn't understand why. And it probably, I probably ignored it six months at least. And then when I finally did it, I did it over a weekend, started on a Friday night and went through Sunday night. So it was like 48 hours. And it was a, an experiment that was very eye-opening to me. And I felt very good at the end of that 48 hours. So the point that I'm connecting there is my body wisdom was telling me to rest my digestive system. And ironically, this was when I started it was Black Friday after a Thanksgiving, you know, day or two binge on, you know, all the holiday foods. And it was just sometimes leading up to that is just very taxing. And those of you who have digestive upset you know, when you're just like, oh, your stomach feels like a rock, you're tired, you're fatigued, you're achy, whatever the, all those things are, and, and you know that it is related to all the food you've eaten, that sluggish feeling and everything. It was just, I felt so light. I felt so good. I felt so clear headed to just detox. And it was like, my body was saying, we just can't handle processing any more food. And I am someone who has struggled with having systemic issues of like my 
functions, like the function of my digestive tract, my gallbladder, my esophagus, like those things just didn't function properly. That's part of my health history journeys. And so it made perfect sense once when I ran this past a naturopath once and I said, I wonder why that was like, it's just, and she said, probably because you can easily more easily absorb the nutrients from the juices and the soups and the broths than your body breaking down the food in order to absorb. Um, so the more raw the food and the more unhealthy the food, it was just taxing my system. And so that was very eye-opening for me in trusting my body wisdom, why my body was craving certain things, and how much better I felt by paying attention to that, okay? So that was a long squirrel sidebar story to get back to the point of cravings. So a lot of times when I tell people, trust your body wisdom, I always make the joke that, you know, you're going to come back with okay, well, then I'll want the burgers and fries every single day or I will want to eat Oreos every single day. If you, if you, they don't have the trust in themselves to like give in to those cravings because they feel like it's going to be a long slope to bad behavior. That's how they're thinking about it, right? It's like once I start, I won't be able to stop. And so <laughs> when I say trust me, you know, those bad habits can only go on for so long before your body We'll say this is not what we're designed to do and this is not how we're designed to function and this is not how we're designed to eat. So when I say to trust it, even if you went on that slippery slope and ate Oreos every single day, I promise you it would just be a lesson in your health that you would course correct. Um, but he talks about three different types of cravings and that's what I'm going to touch on today. And then the beginning one is kind of what I was talking about, the supportive craving. It's something that your body is instinctively yearning for to enhance a healing process in your body or neutralize an imbalance in your body. And maybe when you're sick, you crave, you know, broth. Or maybe when you're um, got a cold, you crave grapefruit juice or orange juice. And that's your body's way of saying, hey, we might need a little extra vitamin C right now. And if you notice, animals instinctively do these things. You know, your pet's chewing on grass and you've heard, or maybe you haven't, but that that means sometimes that they have an upset stomach and, and that helps, that just helps neutralize their, um, whatever's off in the system. And so the dog doesn't understand why he's doing it. It's an instinctive process that's beyond reason and you wouldn't expect that the dog is over there selecting, you know, foods by preference when they're eating in the yard. Anyway, so another one is like there are um, some cravings that just defy understanding like mine with the liquids. Um, I'm looking over the article and it's talking about like people craving peanut butter for nasal congestion or fig for depression. Well, I've never craved figs um, and raspberry juice for headaches. I think some of that is not the typical cravings, but I think like citrus fruits for the colds or soups when you're ill, that kind of thing. Then there's what's called a dispersive craving. And so that's like the, oh, I'm going to eat Oreos every single day now that I'm giving into these cravings. And it becomes this almost monstrous, vicious cycle of just giving into something that 
drains your health or diminishes your energy. And that desire might be as strong as the cravings that are healing and that are supportive to your body. Um, But a lot of times when we give into these type of cravings, it may make us feel sluggish and guilty and feel heavy. And, you know, it's those foods we might have in excess like sugar and alcohol or fried foods. Um, Those are obvious examples. But so how can we trust ourselves to crave something that's beneficial and say, okay, my body wisdom says I need this. And so that's good for me. And then turn around and go, well, if I trust that craving, then how can I crave a McRib? (laughs) Those of you that know me, that's a funny story. Every time McDonald's comes out with a McRib, I like have to go get one. But by the second time or the third time I've gone and got one, I'm like, oof, these are not quite as good as I remember. (laughs) Because my body is so used to eating healthy now that I might could give into that craving once. But again and again, it's like, whoa, you know, this, we, we don't want this. We don't crave harmful food. So if our body is naturally wise and I'm, I'm rec- encouraging you to trust that body wisdom, then how could those cravings make bad decisions? Um, and this is what I'm plugging into today. The emotional eating and trying to fulfill a need or a space that's missing, something that's hollow in your life. The answer to what's motivating the craving kind of depends on where you're at in your satisfaction in your life. So if we're yearning for meaning or purpose or intimacy, if we're lonely and that craving is really being... I'm having pictures in my brain of like fountains, but if it's like what's bubbling up is coming out of a yearning for something deeper... And then we crave this food that we know is probably not in line with our health goals that especially overindulging in, you know, then that craving is probably considered a dispersive craving. And it could become a compulsion if we give into that over and over and over. So the yearning for those feelings of love and acceptance and security and all of that can make us crave those foods and things to stimulate us and excite us and give us pleasure and fill that emotional void that we're missing. Okay. So that's where the emotional eating can get its negative connotation, but really it's just a distorted yearning in our body. And we're tricked into thinking that, you know, Indulging in these is going to be helpful. And we know most of the time it's really not. It still doesn't solve that ache that we have for whatever it is that we're desiring. And we may have had momentary pleasure of that food. But a lot of times then the after effects is that guilt that I try to get you to avoid when we're working through the five steps to conscious eating, because that is number five is to release the meal and let go of any guilt and shame and feelings that you have about the choice that you made. So how can you then increase your supportive cravings, awareness, and indulging? And avoid those giving into those cravings that are dispersive and maybe not not helpful and supportive to our body and our goals. For one, I think it does help to work with a coach 
or an accountability partner or a therapist to kind of see what is missing in your life that you need more of. Because if I'm working with a client who is single and their yearning that they're trying to fill with food is to have companionship, um, then I'm going to work with them on building community or finding relationships. If it is something that you, I think with women, a lot of times, I say this in almost every podcast, but with women, a lot of times it's really in a sense of unworthiness and not feeling valued either by their family or friends or manager at work um, or not valuing themselves. And I think the first thing we can do is try to love ourselves, try to do things that are loving for ourselves and recognize that we are having these needs because we are emotional creatures with needs that need fulfilled. And, And the more you can recognize that, And at least then check in that with the craving, is it stemming from that emotion or is it stemming from, to me, the supportive cravings are almost just instinctual and they don't make a lot of sense sometimes. And dispersives is more like you can recognize that that's coming out of an emotion, especially if you're just getting this practice of checking in. So... There is a third craving called an associative craving. And that is kind of a cross between the other two because sometimes it's a yearning for food that has an association with our past. It's something maybe comforting from our childhood, maybe meals with our parents. You know, the it, matter of fact, the funny story is one of the reasons that I am drawn to McRibs when McDonald's releases them, in spite of all my head knowledge that I have about how like much of a non-food that they even are and how unbeneficial they are for, you know, my nutrition plan. (laughs) My mom loved them. And um, my mom's passed away going on 18 years. And and so when the McRibs, especially because McDonald's doesn't have them all the time, right? So when a McRib comes out, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to go get a McRib. And I'm immediately transported back to, you know, seven, eight, nine years old and my mom getting McRibs and enjoying the barbecue sauce and getting extra pickles or whatever that was. So that memory is connected to something positive for me. Um, And so that's an associative craving. And it just takes you back. You know, if somebody made spaghetti and meatballs every single day that you went over to your grandma's house and that's what she had for lunch and fresh toasted garlic bread and, um, now, every time you smell or start craving that homemade pasta or something, it associates you with your grandmother. That's what I'm talking about with associative cravings. Something that reminds you, you know, of a relationship or an experience that we've had in our past and, and that we're associating with that food. So I think sometimes it's okay because, you know, foods from our childhood could be of questionable you know, could be of questionable nutritional value like the McRib. Or in my household, it was also maybe a bologna sandwich on white bread with mayonnaise and tomato. (laughs) Like that, um, again, may not be the best choice nutritionally, but it's okay to go ahead sometimes and be nourished by eating them 
when they are fulfilling that like memory. So when we're surrendering to a craving like that and we're kind of reliving those feelings that bring a special healing moment, regardless of the nutritional quality of the food, then, you know, then it can be a positive thing. So the bottom line is food is what we need to sustain our life. Food, air, and water, right? To have a happy, joyful, good experience in this life, we need community and we need relationships and we need acceptance. And so there's so many other things that then come into the next layer of the hierarchy of needs, right? So people who just automatically put so much pressure on food to be good and bad and and guilt and shame around eating and obsessing about it, it's just really giving the whole process way more thought than than it deserves, way more attention than it deserves. My phone call cut off the podcast. I'm going to see if I can link these two together. But anyway, we're giving so much power to the whole process. We need to become eaters who move about our day with our food choices about giving it about as much thought as we give brushing our teeth. And I I think I've heard my friend Daryl say that on his podcast. You know, it needs to just be like, oh, I ate. Move on. Um, It's fascinating to me how much obsession and compulsion we have had with food and eating and dieting and all of that. It takes up so much time and energy. And so educating you a little bit about understanding what emotional eating can mean and how it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative negative thing and what these cravings are and where they're coming from and that it's okay to give in to them sometimes and sometimes that they are your body wisdom really um, helping support you and so I hope this was helpful um there was another thought I had around it but that phone call interrupting the podcast got me off track um I think nourishment is what I was trying to end on. So nourishment or nourished or nourish that word and all of its iterations has become one of my favorite words since I have been studying the psychology of eating because nourishment reminds me that eating and what we eat and drink and the things that we're putting in and on our body and what we're doing for ourselves our souls and our spiritual practices, all of those things are what nourish our body and our heart and our soul. And to think of taking these actions of eating or self-care, you know, to think of those as loving actions toward yourself and ways of nourishing your body and nourishing your soul, like that just sounds like such a loving thing that we do. We nourish ourselves. And I think it helps us to make the choices that will better support and sustain our goals and our health and our emotional state. Because when we are nourished, I mean, what is the opposite of that, right? It's malnourished. Malnourished means we are lacking in nutrients. We are malnourished in and what our needs are, and they're not being met. So to be nourished means you are fed and happy (laughs) and full, whether it's food or life, like you're, you're nourished, you're, 
you're happy, you're complete. So thank you for listening today. And if you have any questions, please reach out to me on my website at www.nkyhealthcoach.com or on Instagram at Rise Revolution Mind Body. And until next time, have a great day.